This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The ancient, oh, not ancient, but actually revered A.W. Tozer, pastor of yesteryear, made a very powerful statement in the opening or forward to Leonard Ravenhill's book, Why Revival Tarries. It's a classic on revival, and I want to share these words with you briefly as we open the program here today. In this very trying hour in American history and throughout our world. He says, in the kingdom of God, God has always had his specialists, whose chief concern has been moral breakdown, the decline in the spiritual health of the nation and the church. Such men were Elijah, Jeremiah, Malachi, and others, and their kind who appeared at critical moments in Elijah, or in history rather, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort in the name of God and righteousness. Such a man was likely to be drastic, radical, possibly at times even seemingly violent, and the curious crowd that gathered to watch him work soon branded him as an extremist, fanatical, even negative. He was single-minded, severe, fearless, and those were the qualities, the circumstances that were demanded. He shocked some, frightened others, and alienated not a few, but he knew who had called him and what he was sent to do. His ministry was geared to the emergency, a man apart. Well, today on Viewpoint, I have a conviction and have had this conviction for many, many years that God is looking for such a person today, or perhaps to invest that same spirit of Elijah in many persons who have that same kind of anointing, that spirit of Elijah that God saw as so critically important at a desperate moment in the history of Israel. When Ahab and Jezebel were controlling Israel and Jezebel as a female was lording it over her husband who happened to be king and seducing him into every wicked way, and all he could say was, yes, ma'am. He did everything that Jezebel had him do. And today, it almost seems like we're governed by the spirit of Jezebel, doesn't it? And we have a lot of Ahabs running around that are doing the bidding of the Jezebels in our world, even in the church. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be taking a look at this uh, man, this prophet, Elijah. We sing a song, These Are the Days of Elijah. It's a very thrilling song. I love the song. We are the, we're in the days of Elijah, preparing the way and the word of the Lord. Yes, but are we? It's one thing to say these are the days of Elijah. It's another thing for them to be the days of Elijah and to receive the Elijah to come. Today on Viewpoint, we're going to be taking a look at what that looks like, what such a person looks like. And uh, I've invited a special new guest to join us here today to talk about it, Michelle uh, McLean-Walters. She has written a book called The Spirit and Power of Elijah. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, just reading chapter one or chapter two is enough for us to fill up the uh, the airwaves here today on Viewpoint, and our viewpoint concerning our times is determining destiny. The Israel's viewpoint of their times determined destiny as well. And that destiny was not pretty. 
And we're now living, as Michelle says, in a time characterized by idolatry, declining morality, and turning away from the one true God. We're in need of revival, a call to repentance, and reformation, and then of restoration itself. So, these are the days of Elijah, my friends. And we need the word of the Lord in ways perhaps we have not heard for a century or a millennia. Welcome to the Viewpoint uh, program, Michelle. It's good to have you. Thank you so much, Chuck. Thank you for inviting me. Well, that message in 1 Kings chapter 18 concerning Elijah is a very, very powerful message. Uh, I have highlighted so many things in my Bible and made numerous, numerous notations uh, in the margins. This is a powerful, powerful story. And it's not just a fairy tale. This is the real deal, isn't it? Yes, sir. It is the real deal. I'm always uh, amazed at how God has uh, raised up men and women, a man such as Elijah. And as I look at our times today, I I really believe we need that type of anointing. Well, I agree with that. Uh, In fact, I was thinking about this, and there really are three Elijahs. Uh, There is the Elijah that we're talking about in 1 Kings chapter 18. We'll be talking about him quite a bit. Then there's the Elijah that was to come uh, just before the first coming of Christ, and that Jesus, in fact, referred to John the Baptist as the Elijah that was to come. And then we also are told that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, God will again send forth the Spirit uh, and power of Elijah to call the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Do you think that's, those are these times right now? Yes, I do. I really believe that we're living in that time where God is preparing uh, an Elijah type of people uh, to really turn the hearts of the children back unto the father and the heart of the fathers back unto the children. So I do believe that we're living in that time right now. And, you know, as I was uh, just meditating on the whole message of Elijah, I always had the question in my heart, you know, if God was to send a prophet today, you know, based on what we see from the Bible, which prophet would God send? And I just believe that it's Elijah. We really need the Elijah type of generation yeah. that really understand uh, and deal with the idolatry of our time. Well, apparently God thought the same thing, because in Malachi he said that before the great and terrible day of the Lord that has not happened yet, it's the day uh, when uh, Christ appears and then brings judgment upon the earth to judge people according to their sin, before that time he's going to send the spirit of Elijah to call the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to the fathers. And, you know, uh, Michelle, just a few years ago, uh, the Holy Spirit put on my heart that very message, and it took the form of a book called Hearts of the Fathers, How to Leave a Legacy That Lasts. It was unlike any book uh, that I know of written in our time concerning the relationship of fathers and their children. It was not about take me out to the ball game and buy me some Peters and crackers, uh, peanuts and cracker jacks kind of a message. It was how do fathers can prepare the hearts of their children to follow the Lord like Daniel did, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose for him, and dare to make it known. We just don't seem to have many fathers like that. So I wrote the book, Hearts of the Fathers, and here's what happened. And I'd be interested in your response. In those books, the hearts of the fathers, 
two-thirds of them have been purchased by women. Why do you think that is? I believe because uh, women are forerunners, and they, uh, they have the ability to pray and birth something in. But also, uh, I believe men are just, they're not just aware how, how important they are in the earth. And, in other words, uh, they're not doing their job. Exactly. They're not doing their job. We don't have any indication in the Bible that a woman was to be a forerunner except Deborah, and that was by default. It seems that men are defaulting, and therein lies the problem. We'll be right back after this, friends. Our special guest today, Michelle McLean Walters, with her book, The Spirit and Power of Elijah. Hang on to your seatbelt, my friend. Here we go. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. Today we're talking about the Elijah to come. We're talking about our Elijah moment and the fact that we need to prepare for a global showdown. A showdown just like Elijah had before the 400 prophets of Baal and another 450 prophets that were there, a total of 850 of them, And Elijah was the lone ranger riding again on his high horse before the Lord and confronted every one of them. Do we have anybody that you know that is able and willing to confront that kind of wickedness in powerful places today? Most are shrinking, shrinking from the task. Why? Are we driven by the spirit of fear? Apparently, Elijah was not driven by the spirit of fear. It had nothing to do with him. He spoke what God had for him to speak, notwithstanding the cultural environment, notwithstanding that Ahab and Jezebel controlled everything and hated his living guts. He still spoke the truth. Michelle, where is that spirit today? I believe that spirit is being raised up. I believe it's in the small churches of America. I believe it's in the prayer room of America. I believe God is equipping them now. I believe God is that that spirit is in the earth. I believe it's in the church, and I believe that God is equipping an army of prophets and those who carry the same spirit. All right. Well, we're living in some pretty desperate times. The Apostle Paul called them perilous times. Do you think we match that description? Definitely. I do believe we match the description of... On, on steroids, time. right? <laughs> Maybe on steroids. Yes, on steroids. I believe it's, it's amazing uh, what, what's happening. I just, Some things are happening in our society that you can't even believe it, but I believe God is raising up voices of truth right now that are not afraid to confront uh, the powers that be. Well, fear has torment, the Bible says, and so it Apparently, the majority of spiritual leaders historically uh, in in recent days have been tormented, and they're tormented by the fear of man, 
They're tor- tormented by the fear of not being accepted, uh, of not being seen as relevant, of not being seen as successful. Uh, there's so many things that pastors and parachurch leaders are afraid of today, and I think it actually has uh, put uh, spiritual handcuffs on them. Yeah, because they're trusting in man and not really trusting in God. I believe many are trusting in numbers, financial numbers, uh, but not really trusting in the Lord. But I believe there's a, a great circumcision that's happening in the hearts of leaders where God is emboldening us to really preach the gospel with truth and with power and not be afraid. Well, who is, who is uh, the Bible said to build the church? I believe the church is built upon the foundations of apostle, prophets, All right. evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Well, it's built upon the foundations of the pa- uh, uh, apostles and prophets, the Scripture says. But who today uh, does the Bible actually say is building the church? Well, I, as I said, we do have modern-day apostles and prophets. Well, but the Bible comes out very explicitly. Jesus himself said, I will build my church. He didn't say, you'll build my church. He said, I will build my church. The foundation is the apostles and prophets. But he said, I will build my church. So I have a question for you. There's a reason why I'm asking this. Who's building the church today? Is it God or is it we trying to build his church for him? We should be building his church for him. And with Jesus as the chief cornerstone, he's the pattern. Well, I thought we were supposed to make disciples, and he was supposed to build the church. We, we've been trying to build churches and have failed to make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded. Isn't that the reason we're in the mess we're in? Yeah, that could. Yeah, that is. I mean, I, maybe I, I didn't really realize the way you were going, but of course. <laughs> I told you we're going to have a conversation. <laughs> yes, I hear what you're saying. But I, I do believe that, you know, we are supposed to be making disciples that, you know, disciplined learners of the doctrines of Christ. But sometimes you have so many people that are so celebrity focused. So many people are building after their own image and not the image of the Lord. Jesus. Uh-huh. You got that right, sister. So the bigger we build our churches, the less faithful we are to disciple the people and teach them how to obey God, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, uh, we've gotten far away from discipleship. Ah, okay. Well, even Billy Graham admitted that. On Larry King Live, several years ago, he was asked by Larry King. I heard it myself. He was asked, wow. certainly... Uh, Mr. Graham or Reverend Graham, with all of the success that you have had, there's nothing that you would be uh, concerned about, uh, regretted or anything, right? And he said, oh, no. Billy Graham said this, I regret that I didn't focus on making disciples, on disciples. In other words, he was making converts, but not disciples. Yes. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, so do you think that the spirit of Elijah would be focusing just on making converts? Or do you think the spirit of Elijah is focused more on reviving those who supposedly already are the converts? I believe he would be focused on, on reviving those who are already the converts because you have so many people have turned away from the Lord. Elijah's major focus was to turn the heart of a people back to God. Exactly. First of all, 
So that would be the major thing I believe we need to do. We preach our own doctrines, but we don't really preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You know, we need to get Jesus back in the center of the church and not so social media focused. And we're so afraid of stepping on toes, but we're just in the season and we just got to be determined to preach nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, you know, when you step on toes, people will say, ouch, but at least you got their attention. Exactly, exactly. Okay, now uh, you indicate in your book that those with the spirit of Elijah live to preach messages that produce righteousness. I want to share a a little story with you. It was about 15 years ago, and I was very much involved uh, here in the birth city of America, Richmond, Virginia, with uh, pastors throughout the city, And once a month, we were gathering for a pastor's uh, prayer breakfast. And, of course, we would have a meal and stand around drinking coffee before the meal. So on the way to the meeting, I was crossing America's birth river, the James River, and I felt that the Holy Spirit had prompted me to ask him a question. And here was the question. After all these years, almost a generation of crying out to you, belly aching, calling out to you in prayer. Why don't we have revival in the church, in our country, and in Richmond, Virginia? Simple question. He answered me with a simple answer instantly. My pastors are not preaching righteousness. That was it. My pastors are not preaching righteousness. So... As I'm thinking about that for a few seconds, he says, and by the way, that's why my church is in such a mess that it's in. And I'm thinking about that, and he said, by the way, that's why your nation is in the mess it's in, and my church has no ability to do anything about it. So I got to the meeting, and this kind of hit me over the head, you can imagine, and so I got to the meeting, and I was having a nice cup of coffee with uh, the pastor of one of the larger churches in the area, uh, a, a, a congregation rooted in a denomination that had its roots in the holiness movement in the late 1800s. So I was sharing this little story with him, and here was his response. I don't think I even know how to preach righteousness. Wow, that's honest. Well, it's honest, all right. But what do you do with that? I mean, if this is the pastor of one of the largest so-called evangelical churches in an area, and the whole denomination is like that, then what, what do you say? What is God's need? What does he see as his need to reach his own people? What do you think it is? Think I, I just think it's, I think he's being honest. I, I, I can I can go for the honesty because you have so many people who feel as if though they know or they're used to just following the previous leader's patterns. Right. You know, so I, I believe what's missing is that we won't seek the, we don't seek the Lord anymore. And we're afraid to be different. We're well, it's the Elijah message that's missing, isn't it? <laughs> yes. 
That's yes, yes, the Elijah yes. message that's missing. It. It's a call to righteousness and holiness and repentance, out of which comes revival and reformation and restoration, which is what your book is about. Exactly, exactly. What, I, I, what I'm saying is that we definitely need those people who really understand the Elijah message. That's the key thing. As I was saying, that so many people... Um, they're going by patterns. What I've learned before uh-huh. is versus getting in the face of the Lord and really hearing a relevant message. But that's why the Elijahs are here. You know, there's a void, there's a vacuum that's yep. in the in the earth, and that's why God is sending uh, those Elijahs to really uh, turn the hearts back, to really restore the altar of praise and worship, to uh, really restore men to seek the Lord again and become presence-based ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Friends, the book is uh, The Spirit and Power of Elijah, Rising Up in the Spirit of Boldness and Reclaiming Our Destiny. Uh, it's $19. It's available to you on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Bonk 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. The spirit and power of Elijah. Now, the very name Elijah is important, isn't it, Michelle? Yes, it is. Why? It's because, you know, in the Hebrew times, they were they always named their children after what was happening in their lives. And so Elijah's name is Yahweh is God. The Lord is my God. So one of the major things was Elijah's parents were bold. In the time of witchcraft, in the time of idolatry, they made a declaration with the birth of their son to say, Yahweh is my Lord. So his name is is powerful. It's very powerful. And anytime a name begins with E-L, you know that God is involved in it. That's the yes. indication that the name is involving God. Uh, God is Jehovah, Yahweh. And uh, Elijah then, the spirit and power of Elijah, is to challenge the moral decline and apostasy in the church, which brings up a whole different subject that's troubling to a lot of people in the broader body of Christ, the very word apostasy. What does the word apostasy mean, Michelle? It means a, a falling away. A, a falling, falling away. Now, wait a minute. Can you fall away from a place you've never been? Yes, you can. That's why you've fallen. You were once there. Exactly. You once lifted up the name of the Lord. and because We have it happening all in the earth right now. A lot of deconstruction. People are deconstructing from their faith because of so much doctrines of devil and seducing spirits. So that's why we need the spirit and the power of Elijah. But there are people, there are whole denominations that will argue with you that you can't, a a professing Christian can't fall away. He is forever saved, never can fall away. He can't depart from the faith. And yet you're saying one of the premier reasons for God raising up the spirit of Elijah is to deal with the apostasy in God's own house. Yes. I, I'm, and I agree with you. you. Yes. Because, I mean, and it's, a, it's, it's deception to me, doctrines of demons, to make you feel as if you can never fall away. 
people that they're falling away right before our very presence. Yeah, so they're feeling secure feeling in their sin. Secure in their secure in their sin. They're feeling secure in their sin, or they're trying to even come up with another preaching another Jesus. Mm. You know, with this doctrine of inclusion, they're preaching another Jesus oh my. to pacify their sin. To pacify oh their sin. So I, you know, it. I really need. I really believe God is raising up voices to confront voices to declare the truth of his word. I agree. That's why I I brought you on to talk about Elijah, the spirit of Elijah. This is the moment of truth. We're the valley of decision. And uh, if God is God, then he's going to, in this hour, raise up that spirit once again to call the hearts of the fathers to the children and children of the fathers. Is he talking to you, my friend? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. If Elijah were here today in your house or in your church, what would he say concerning the 40 to 50% of the people in your congregation who are divorced and are remarried? What would he say? Did you know, my friend, that in the past 25 years, the divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America has exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%? Did you know that in the buckle belt, uh, the, the, the buckle of the Bible belt in Dallas, Texas, filled with evangelical churches, that I received a message from a pastor indicating that the divorce rate in Dallas was 62%. Wow. Did you know, my friend, that the governors of six southern states about 10 years ago declared a marital emergency The pastors didn't do it, but the governors did because the situation was so serious, and that's in the Bible Belt. So what would Elijah say if he had the guts to say it? What would he say? Elijah would, first of all, he would deal with the fathers. Everything starts with the fathers. He would begin to to talk to them about their character and their integrity and would begin to challenge them about the father's house and building families, the importance of family. I just believe a lot of men are just under attack. I believe there's been much uh, spiritual attack against men, just true godly men, just the masculine man. Well, it's so hard to I, find I, them today. I Well, then it has to start with our focuses in the church. What are we teaching? You know, how what's happening with our men's ministry in the church? What what type of programs have we put together to really go after 
Uh, men, young men. Well, I so, agree uh, with that. You know, uh, uh, we we've got a serious, serious problem here because, and and you're hitting at a at a uh, the root of it in many regards, because as the scripture says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And part of the foundation yes. of society, from God's viewpoint, is the family, starting exactly. with the man, the husband, and then the father. So, I have a question for you, and it might be uncomfortable, but I understand that you're, I don't know how you want to refer to yourself as a black woman, an African-American, or how you want to refer to yourself, but that's who you are. And uh, so, here's the deal. The divorce rate in the black community is dramatically higher than any other people group in the country. Did you know that? Yes, I did. All right. Did you also know that the unwed pregnancy and childbirth in the black community is the highest by far of all other people groups? I've heard that as well. Okay. And uh, did you notice also that the abortion rate in the black community is dramatically higher than all other people groups. Yeah, I don't know about dramatically higher. But well, it I, is. I it's dramatically that. higher. The percentages bear no relationship one to the other. Now, here's the reason I'm bringing it out. Not for embarrassment, but Mr. Gallup, George Gallup, who was pollster to the country, declared about 15 years ago that the black community in America was the most religious community in the country. How can you reconcile the statistics that I just shared with you, which is reality on the ground, that's lifestyle, with George Gallup's conclusion and bold declaration that the black community was the most religious or Christian in the country? Try to answer that. How can, okay. What what I can say is this: I can't reckon. I don't know. I can't reconcile that, but I do know. I believe that uh, that the Lord is releasing revival among African Americans. I believe before uh, it's over, before the day of the Lord comes, you're going to see strong uh, African American families. Uh, where Where because, is the Elijah, the voice of Elijah in the black community? I don't hear it. I'm, where is it? I'm here. I'm here. Okay, that's good. I like to hear that. But you're a woman. Yeah. Why? You're a Deborah. You're a Deborah. The default of the men. No, no, Deborah was never a default. Well, sure she was. She says, look, if you're not willing to go in, I'll I'll do it. But you're going to have to come alongside. No, that's, that's that's not the story. That's not the way I read the story, nor have I written a book on it. Okay. She, what, what Deborah said was, she told Barack, she said, I will go with you. She said, but the battle will not be given unto you. In she other words, she's it. going to get the credit uh, no, because the woman the is there as the prophet. No, no, no. She didn't get, Deborah didn't get the credit. She wasn't talking about herself. She was prophesying about J.L. 
You got to remember, she was a prophet. <laughs> okay. She was prophesying. Okay. She was prophesying about Jan. Yeah, there's, there's truth to that, too. No question about it. So, in other words, yes. a woman still got the credit. The man didn't yes. get the credit because he defaulted. But the three of them, the three of them got the credit was team ministry. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a conversation. Uh, <laughs> We're having a conversation. <laughs> okay. Okay. Look, here's, here's my point. I think that Christian leaders, whether black or white or brown or green or whatever color they are, are not being honest before God or the people. They're not telling the people the truth. They're playing the cultural game, even in our evangelical and charismatic churches. You know why? Because they're afraid of the people, and they're afraid they'll lose part of their flock, and they're afraid they're going to lose the money to keep the mega churches growing and so they are people-pleasers rather than God-pleasers, and the spirit of Elijah is crushed. I believe that. I believe they're preaching a social justice gospel, you know, uh, that they're talking more about the race instead of Jesus being the true reconciler. Yeah, just so ask I the people at Harvard when Harvard was founded in 1636, I think it was, and now look what's happened to it. Just this week. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Just this week, and Harvard was founded to be a purveyor of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to prepare Elijah's for the future of the country. So was Yale. Wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think what I believe what God is doing, he's doing no names, just like Elijah the Tishbite. They didn't know where he came from. He just appeared on the scene because God was preparing him. So I just believe God is preparing people. He's preparing no-name people, people who may uh, not, you know, fit the status quo. Right. Uh, you know what? I like that. I like that. God's not interested in power, perks, and position. He's interested in people who are faithful no matter what their pedigree. Exactly. And they were called before they were in their mother's womb. And they, I, believe they're gonna be a sign, I believe they're going to be a sign and a wonder. Uh, to mm, this generation. Mm, mm. So, Lord knows we I need have. it. The yes, book, sir. friends, is the spirit and power of Elijah. <laughs> Michelle McLean Walters and her book, The Spirit and Power of Elijah, rising up in the spirit and boldness to reclaim our destiny. $19 will put the book in your hands. Be inspired. Be encouraged. And then let's humbly, humbly listen to the voice of the Lord in our own hearts and lives. Who knows, my friend? Esther was not an Elijah, but she was called to the kingdom for such a time as that. You may not be Elijah, but you may be called to the kingdom for such a time as this, and you haven't yet identified why you're called. Hmm. God's going to need every one of us to rise up and take a stand for the kingdom of God, not for the kingdom of America, per se, but for the kingdom of God. And there is a difference. Get a copy of the book. 
The Spirit and Power of Elijah, $19, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, you can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And you don't want to wait for J.L., a woman in the tent, to drive a nail through righteous, unrighteousness in our country. Maybe it's time for some men to rise up. What say you, Michelle? I believe it is. I believe that God is raising up men. Men are rising. They need to rise even more. Uh, that another part, That's a part of, I believe, what God is doing with the spirit and power of Elijah. Mm. Uh, it, it, because uh, you have so many orphans, orphan men. That, that's really what our society has. We have so many... Uh, uh, homes that are, you know, like with single parents and right. you don't have fathers in the house that carry that orphan spirit. But right. I believe God is going to turn the hearts. I believe he's going to turn hearts of the fathers. I, I just, I've, I've been praying about that. that uh, that's uh, that's going to be a part of revival. You know, that God is Well, it has to be in. because God said it would be. If it was yes. going to happen, that's how it's going to happen. Yeah, I believe he's going to move, you know, the scripture says in the last days, I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and there's going to be dreams and visions poured out. I, I'm believing God for supernatural manifestations mm. that he'll begin to speak to men on their bed. You know, God can touch a person's heart in their dreams. He well, he try. seems to be doing that among some of the uh, Arab or Persian folk uh, over there in Iran. Uh, I'm getting reports of that. So if God can reach them uh, there in that uh, environment, surely he could reach an American. But then again, Michelle, maybe we're more stubborn than the Iranians. Uh, but I believe still that God can speak to him through dreams. It's just <laughs> he that... will hide the pride. He said he, in that Job 33, I'll hide pride from men and instill my instructions in their heart. So I believe that that's what's happening as we continue to pray. Uh, I believe one of the, another manifestation of the Elijah anointing is through prayer. All right. Well, let's talk about that after the break. Our special guest, Michelle McLean Walters. You can see she has a passion for this. And it's about time we have someone with a passion for the spirit of Elijah. These are the days of Elijah. At least that's what we sing. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. I have stood there on Mount Carmel above the Valley of Megiddo, the Jezreel Valley, where the final great battle of the nations will take place. 
It was there on Mount Carmel, looking over that valley, that Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal, and he asked this question, how long will you halt before between two opinions? How long? What is it going to take for you to choose God? That's what he said. What is it going to take? How long are you going to halt? He wasn't messing around, was he, Michelle? No, those were Elijah anointing. They confrontational. I mean, they're not beating around the bush. Well, wait a minute. That's not deemed loving. Love is violent. Just take a look at the cross. (laughs) Whoa. Now you're speaking truth to power here. Look at the cross. Absolutely. Love was violent. Mm-mm-mm. It's because, you know, you love God and his will and you love his people, but you know it's, it's a demon, it's demonic, that the, the deception that has them bound. So God gives us a grace of boldness to confront. And, my, my, and it's out of love. It's because I love you, I confront your deception. Now, you were talking about uh, a prayer. And the kind of prayer that this is going to take is not lollygagging prayer. It's a prayer of boldness. And the the book of Hebrews says that we should come boldly before the throne of grace, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, You know, also, you know how in James it talks about the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous makes tremendous power available. You know, James tells us that it was in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us. And when we pray earnestly... We will see the tremendous, a tremendous anointing release. If so we're I walking believe, in righteousness. But righteousness the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 59, he said, I'm not even going to hear your prayers. He's talking to God's people. He said, I'm not going to hear your prayers because your fingers are defiled with blood and your tongues have muttered perverseness. I am not going to hear your prayers. So but, when you say the prayer of the righteous, there's the question, am I walking in righteousness? I believe we're all positionally righteous, and, and I do believe that God has a remnant. He does have a remnant of righteous men and women there you who go. bow before the Lord to pray, to, to hear his voice like Elijah. They yeah. spent time at their chariots in the presence of God, and as we stand, we pray till we see revival come, till we see uh, the men, revival in our churches, mm. to see a new a reformation. Uh, it, it takes spiritual warfare. This prayer that Elijah prayed, I call it persistent prayer. He had to pray seven times mm. before the rain came. That's uh, true. There was a battle. And yeah, then the fire battle. fell. Yes. Then the, the fire, fire fell. Yes. Well, mm. the first the fire fell after he let the, he let the you know, the prophets of Baal do their antics. But he just said one word. He just said one word. I, the second time when it rained, the second time he had to call the rain. First he called down the fire. The people repented, t- returned to God. He killed the false prophets of Baal. Then he still had to pray again for the rain to come. Yeah, so that's it, right. All of his, all of his. Um, I just believe with Elijah, we just have to have that persistent place in prayer. Mm. We have to really hear the voice of God. If you remember in Cherith, before Elijah even came upon the surf, first God told him to go present yourself, then he told him to hide yourself. 
I just believe there's a company of us that are hidden right now, being prepared to hear mm. the instructions of the Lord, and then we'll raise, he's going to send us. When he tells us to go, that's the key thing, is being sent by the Lord. A lot of people have went, but were not sent. Well, some people said a lot of pastors are sent by their mothers. So <laughs> I didn't make that up. I've heard it so many times. <laughs> okay, instead of Father God, they were sent by their mothers. Okay, let's talk about in your book, you uh, you talk about one of the great impairing factors uh for righteousness in God's house, bringing us to a place of uh, mediocrity at best and rebellion at worst, kind of dissing the word of God. And you call it tolerance. Tolerance. Jesus was not tolerant of sin. He was not tolerant of the religious leaders of his day. Just read Matthew chapter 23. He called her whited sepulchers, full of dead men's bones. So this issue of tolerance, you call it a snare. Tell us why you think it's a snare that is keeping uh, the church impaired from walking in revival, renewal, restoration, uh, and all of that. Yeah, I, yes, uh, I really believe, you know, uh, with the with the message of our society, they want to call us as Christians, they want to tell us we're intolerant, that we, we don't have any grace, you know, mm-hmm. we just damn everyone to hell. But I believe it's a snare when we're trying to be appeasing to our culture and not standing on the truth of God's word. God was intolerant with sin. We love the person, but we hate the sin. Right. Uh, so I, I just believe that... Tolerance is just a, 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 a tactic, a ploy, if you will, exactly. of the enemy to get us to stand away from our, to stand on the truth of God's word. Well, actually, Christianity is extremely inclusive. Jesus said, whosoever will that comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. It doesn't matter whether you're black or white or green or chartreuse, whether you come from uh, the other side of Jordan or this side of Jordan. Male or female, yes. all who come unto him, he will in no wise cast out. So Christianity yes. is inclusive. It's just exclusive to those who won't come in. Or, it, 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 I call it, yeah, you can come in, but you have to be transformed. Yep. You can come in, but you have to be transformed. So, yes, we receive you. Yes, we love you, but you must be transformed. So we don't want any stillborn Christians. No stillborn Christians. No stillborn Christians. Okay. Tolerance, when taken to an extreme or misapplied, can lead to compromise within the church. You have it right here in chapter, verse 20, uh, excuse me, page 28 of your book. It leads to relativism, moral compromise, doctrinal dilution, and spiritual apathy. I couldn't agree more. Why does it lead to relativism? Because it, it, it doesn't lay a foundation. It's not, how can I say this? It's, we want it to be a plumb line, right or wrong. Uh, there are no absolutes. So with, with more relativism, it's as if though they, they don't want us to have an absolute. All right, so every man defines his own truth. 
Exactly. Instead of the word of God being the final authority in your life. There you go. Okay. Moral compromise. Moral compromise. We already talked about the massive divorce rate in the church. Massive divorce rate. We talked about sexual ethics. Did you know that in 1997, uh, U.S. News and World Report had a cover story called uh, Premarital Sex, the Sin Americans Wink At? This is in 1997 now. Think about that. Wow. Wow. And the cover story was all about how U.S. News and World Report and the reporters went to some of the more serious so-called evangelical conservative culture warriors in the country to talk about it, and not one of them would talk about it. Not one of them would make a statement concerning it that they could quote in the magazine. You know why? Because they knew their constituents were guilty as sin, and they didn't want to rest the flow of money. It's called moral compromise. And exactly. this is not a matter of tolerance more. This is a matter of the church having become a leader in the breakdown of the culture. In the name of Christ. In the name of Christ. I mean, and, and it leads men to hell. I, I, I can't say that enough. We, we, we have to come to a place to get back to the way. If the scripture said Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we have to do it his way. The way, the truth, and the life. The life. Not one of the ways. Did you know that about 15 years ago, a uh, study was done. I can't remember if it was George Barna uh, or another group. And found that among America's young people, youth, only 9% believed in absolute truth. 9%. This was among Christian young people. 80% of them did not believe Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Think about that. Don't we need the voice of Elijah to come and shake things up? Yes, we definitely need the voice of Elijah to come and really draw the line in the sand and really call the people back to, I believe when he was calling us, when he said, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts, we have to, whose name are we preaching in? Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the name, we're talking about the nature, we're talking about the essence. If we're preaching in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then we got to preach in his name and his authority. Uh, I believe we're in such a season where there's so much uh, doctrinal delusion that we have to begin to preach the truth and stop trying to appease everyone. There you go. Appeasing. And and bringing, uh, we're concerned more about building our empire than advancing the kingdom. Oh, boy, now you've gone from preaching to meddling, girl. (laughs) 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 And you know what? If you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, where you get this whole account of Elijah, which is so spectacular, it wasn't until the fire of the Lord fell. And when the, here's what it says, when the people saw it, then and only then did they fall on their faces and said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God, he is God. The fire had to fall. What, what kind of fire are we going to have to see before that happens? 
I believe we're going to have to see the fire of preaching. We got to get back to the, the, the fire that's in the preaching. You know, uh, I also believe we need the fire of uh, miracles. That was another distinction of, I believe, of Elijah's anointing that we don't talk about a lot, that yeah. he was a man of word and deed. Not only, you know, he when he spoke the word of God, when he when he said, I come in the name of the Lord, the miracle came. But he also was ministering to the needs of the people. I believe God is going to, he's called, there's coming a famine in the land, but I believe he's given us strategies on how to meet the needs of our people. Well, there's already a famine of the word of the Lord in the land, just as the Bible said there would be. So I have a final question for you before we wrap up. If we go to the book of uh, Revelation chapter 11, we find two great witnesses in the end times. The Bible does not name them. Two great witnesses. Who are they? Is one of them Elijah? He never died. We don't have any record that he ever died. He went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. We don't have a record of Moses' body ever being found. We do have a record that he died. There's only one other person that we have record that never died, and that was Enoch. Enoch, Is Elijah going to be one of those, or is that just speculation? I said, I'm going to wait and see if I'm still around. <laughs> you, you are just a wonderful little lawyer, you. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, we've established a kingdom friendship uh, through this uh, holy banter here concerning the matter of Elijah. This is serious stuff, friends. We can, we can laugh. Uh, yes, we can have a certain amount of holy humor. But it's really serious. It really is. God sees it very seriously, and we need to take it that seriously as well. So, would you receive Elijah, the Elijah of 1 Kings 18, if he were to come to your church today? What do you think your church would do? Do you think your pastor would even receive him? Just asking. Thanks for joining us. Get a copy of Michelle's book, $19. We'll put the spirit and power of Elijah in your hands on our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. It's our Elijah moment. Prepare for a global showdown, friends, just like there was at Mount Carmel. been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.